ahead and open your Bible to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4 uh, is where we're going to be spending most of our time today. If you've been uh, at City Church, you've been with us through our Stretch Marks series. We've been in Acts 3 and Acts 4 uh, for, for the last couple of weeks, reading really one miracle. One story uh, about uh, a man who was healed, a crippled man, a beggar, who had this radical transformation come into his life. And here's the result of this. Verse four, or Acts chapter 4, verse 13 says this. It says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. Well, who's they? It's, it's this crowd of people who were gathered around. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished. Turn to somebody next to you and say, you astonish me. Because you're so ordinary. Your commonness amazes me. Tell your wife that one. Uh, not, not the best advice I've ever given you, for sure. Um, they, they were amazed by their ordinariness. What a compliment. But then they go on to give them a real compliment. It says this. It says they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Now, that's a compliment. They took note that these men had been with Jesus. Hey, we got a buzz up here. If you can try to find that for me, Tim. We got a buzz uh, back here. I would love to get rid of that. It helped me out a lot. Thank you very much. Um, so you're common, but you have uncommon common power because of the relationship, because of the association that you have. That's an awesome thing. That's an awesome statement. You got it, Tim. Thank you very much. Give it up for Tim, making that happen for us. You're common, but you have uncommon power. So Philippians chapter 3, if you've got your Bible open to Acts 4, uh, go ahead and mark that. Turn to Philippians 3. We're going to be in these two chapters throughout our sermon today. Philippians chapter 3 says, this is the Apostle Paul speaking. He says, not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal. Everybody say goal. But I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of for me. I want to share with you this morning on this topic of reaching the goal, reaching the goal. We're going to reach some goals at City Church, but we want to set a framework for what, how do we pursue a godly goal? What does a godly goal look like? How do we get there? We're going to reach some goals. So last week, the, this man whom God healed, we, we left him uh, leaning on Peter and John. He was still leaning on Peter and John. Why? Because his mentality hadn't caught up with his reality yet. Even though he'd been healed, even though the strength had absolutely come into his his feet, he's still leaning on Peter and John because he doesn't really know how to process what God's done in his life yet. And he's beginning to walk it out. He's beginning to walk out the miracle that God's done in your life. So now some controversy has broken out over what happened. And here in Acts chapter 4, verse 13, we discover the controversy. Uh, The people were astonished. Why? Well, honestly, a lot of them were upset. Why were they upset? They weren't upset that this man was healed. They were upset at how he was healed. He was healed in the name of Jesus. And the name of Jesus was threatening. It threatened the power structure of the religious day. It threatened the order that was in place, the established organization that ruled. And so then we get this picture of Peter and John that have astonished people. They didn't know how to react to the miracle. In fact, they started giving Peter and John credit for the miracle before Peter stepped up and said, no, don't look at me. This isn't me. We're not the ones who did this. Jesus did this. And so in their astonishment, they did the only logical thing. They put Peter and John in prison. 
whoa, you did a miracle. We're not sure how. We're not sure what power you did it in. Let's just throw you in prison just to be safe. If you've grown up in church, as I have, you've probably heard a lot in church about the consequences of disobeying God. I haven't heard a lot about the consequences of obeying God. Sometimes obedience is going to get you in some trouble, too. Sometimes there's a consequence to obedience. And Peter and John walked in obedience. Peter and John walked in exactly what God laid out for them. They walked in exactly the calling that he had for them. They performed this miracle. They boldly proclaimed the name of Jesus. And in the midst of them walking in obedience, they were thrown in prison. Sometimes I think we, we water down the truth. Sometimes, and, and sometimes we can be guilty of it at City Church too, I'm sure. But, but we can put this, this blessing bow on everything. And I do believe that God wants to bless us. And I do believe that God wants to make our life better. And I do believe that God wants to advance us. But in the midst of following him, there's going to be some times where there's some consequences for obedience. There's going to be some times where life does not get more convenient, it gets less convenient. There's going to be some times where life does not get more comfortable, it gets less comfortable. And we've got to determine, are we committed to Jesus no matter the result? Are we committed to Jesus no matter the valley that's there set before us before we get to the peak? See, I think sometimes in obeying God, he's going to stretch us. There's going to be some consequences and he's going to stretch us. And that's what this series is all about. It's about stretching. Everybody say stretch. We're going to stretch and reach the goal that God has for us. So they're thrown in prison overnight. And it says that when they got out, Peter actually offended them with his preaching. Why did his preaching offend them? Because he looked at the crowd. He looked at the Jewish religious leaders and he said, Jesus, whom you crucified, is the one who did this miracle. He put, he put them on blast. He called them out in front of everybody. You're the ones who killed him, and you thought you did something, but you couldn't hold him down. The, the grave didn't have the power to keep him there. The cross didn't have the power to end his life permanently. And now he's still doing miracles even though you killed him. Now what are you going to do? And he calls them out. second scripture that I read to you is from a guy named Paul. And Paul himself was writing this letter from prison. Letter to the church in Caesarea Philippi. We call it the book of Philippians. And in this letter to the Philippians, he's, he's sharing his, his thoughts, his perspective as someone who was in prison. Well, why was Paul in prison? Was he in prison for murder? Was he in prison for, for robbery? Was he, you know, a lot of times today we see people get saved in prison. Man, they've done some horrible act. Uh, when, when I was in North Carolina, church that we went to, a little bitty church when we first moved down there, our youth leader was, believe it or not, he was a convicted murderer. Uh, he, had, he had killed two men. He had killed two black men, actually, because they were black, thrown in prison, came to Jesus in a radical way, and our pastor was the chaplain at the local prison, the state prison in town, and he began reaching out to him and discipling him, and he got such a good relationship with the prison that they trusted, they, re- they released him out to our pastor every Sunday. So Sunday morning, he'd get out of prison, he'd be out all day Sunday through Sunday night, he'd do our, our youth service on Sunday night, and then he'd go back to prison. So that's an incredible testimony, and that's an awesome thing. When God gets a hold of somebody in prison, you're never too far for Jesus to reach you. You've never missed it so bad. You've never committed such a horrible sin that God can't still get a hold of you. But that's not why Paul's in prison. Paul's not in prison because of the horrible things he did. In fact, he was glorified for the horrible things he did. He's in prison because he's preaching Jesus. He's been chained up because of the gospel. Paul was actually a murderer. 
But that's not why he was there. He was there because God got a hold of him. And after God got a hold of him, he began to preach and he began to challenge the local perspective. And they said, you know what, we don't want to hear that. And they threw him in prison. So it's different between Peter and Paul. Peter astonished people because how does he speak so well? How does he do this? He's got no education. He's got no training. He didn't go to seminary. How has he got this power and this authority when he preaches? And so they question him because he didn't have the credentials. He didn't match up to their expectation. Well, Paul actually had all those credentials. Paul was trained as a Pharisee. Paul went to the best schools. Paul had the deepest education. And so they're coming at it from two totally different perspectives. But where they thought that Peter lacked, they thought that Paul had exactly what he needed, and the truth was, Peter was the one who had been close to Jesus. And so Paul looked at Peter and said, I want to have what you have. You're the one that walked with Jesus for three years. You're the one that was close to him. I just got to know him for a few days. And so Peter had the greater thing, even though he didn't have the education. But when, when somebody does something that, by our human perspective, we don't think they should be able to do, it, it causes us to question causes some interest. And so Peter's miracle, Peter's preaching had sparked some interest here. It's like, the, the, how did they do that? Well, how did they ever end up getting famous? You ever had somebody ask that? What exactly did Kim Kardashian do to be so famous, right? What, what, why is Paris Hilton even a thing, right? Like we've questioned these things. When somebody gets to a position we don't think they should have, we begin to, to add some things up. And that's where Peter was. They didn't understand how this unschooled, ordinary, regular dude had the authority to preach the way that he did. So there's a hashtag on Instagram that's real big right now. I don't know if you guys have seen it. It's hashtag goals. Hashtag goals. And goals, like this is the whole hashtag sensation, a lot of times they come up with real kind of clever, like slang, like new things. Goals is an old word, right? Like goals is something that, that most of us in here are, are at least familiar with on some level or another. But, but the goals hashtag is used most often kind of in reference to something that a celebrity has or something that a celebrity is doing that is like so far beyond anything you could ever achieve. It's kind of used like ironically. Like as you see Jay-Z and Beyonce on their private jet, like sleeping on pillows made of zebras, and you're like, hashtag goals right? Like, it's, it's just ridiculous. You could never even begin to reach out to it. You see uh, a woman who's eight months pregnant and still has washboard abs. You're like, goals. I don't know how she does it. Goals, right? Like, it's something that, that you would never be able to accomplish or have in your an entire life. And so there, there's actually an article that was written recently about this hashtag, about this trend among young people putting this hashtag and kind of idolizing and glorifying celebrity culture and wishing that they could aspire to it. I want to read you just a little clip. It's by a lady named Justine Harmon. She says this. She says, the trending term, which also pairs neatly with prefixes such as life, so life goals, or body, body goals, hair, squad, and relationship, is tongue-in-cheek, lazy, and purposefully self-deprecating. A goal in this context is something aspirational and outlandish, a perceived quality of life that we categorize as unattainable. Unlike the proliferation of hashtag blessed, which subverted the potency of celebrity privilege, hashtag goals strokes its ego. By deeming something out of reach, even ironically, we're commenting on it as much as we are on our own limitations. So I, I think it's something that people use to kind of make themselves feel better about the things that they can never have. The things that they kind of, melt. I can look at this, I can idolize this, I can dream about this, but let's be real, I'm never going to be able to achieve that goal. So question for you, are you a goal setter? 
Any goal setters in the house? Let me, re- let me make sure I make that clear. I didn't say, are you a goal keeper? Are you a goal setter? We'll start there. We got some goal setters in the house. Okay, I like to set goals, uh, maybe New Year's goals, maybe some other time of year. You believe in the value of goals. You believe that there's a, a reason to set goals. Well, here's what I think. I think sometimes, obviously, we're better at setting goals than keeping them. If I went back to my New Year's resolutions right now, I'd realize that some of my goals have not been kept. Uh, and I'm sure I'm not the only one in this room. But not only are we better at setting goals than keeping them, I think we're better at keeping goals than we are at actually setting valuable goals. In other words, I think sometimes we set goals that aren't even worth aspiring for. I think sometimes we make goals that ultimately are meaningless. I wonder today, how good are your goals? If we were to sit down over coffee and I was to ask you, how are your goals going? Uh, maybe some of them, if you were to go back to your New Year's resolutions, maybe some of you, you'd be real proud of yourself and you'd brag on yourself, do the humble brag thing. Uh, maybe some of us, you'd be like making excuses. You'd be apologizing for the way that you, you didn't measure up. But if I then asked you, how good are your goals, what would your answer be to that? Would you then have to evaluate the goals that you have set? Um, Let me illustrate this for you. Uh, When I was a youth pastor, multiple times I had parents or or other people in the church, very well-meaning people, but they would come to me and they would say, man, you guys need to do something on Friday nights or Saturday nights. Man, just set something up so we can keep these kids out of trouble. And I would always cringe at that because keeping kids out of trouble is never my goal in youth ministry. Like, I've, I believe that God's called us to something higher than just keeping kids out of trouble. I don't believe that God called us to be holy babysitters, to set something up so that kids aren't out doing terrible things. I think that God's called us to raise up a generation that loves Jesus, that's going to make an impact on their culture, that's going to reach their friends for his glory. So I always would push back against that. And I know they were well-meaning. But you know what? I think that says a lot about the way we look at young people. If all we can think of that a church needs to do is, man, just set something up to keep these kids out of trouble— We don't look at kids the way that God does. Because God's goals are different for our young people, and let's just keep our kids out of trouble. This is something that I'm passionate about. And so I think we've got to evaluate our goals. We've got to evaluate what are we actually aspiring to. Because if Vince, who's our youth leader now, if he ever comes to me and he says, man, my biggest goal for this school year is we're going to keep these kids out of trouble, he's fired. Like, that's it. Just, just so you know, I know we haven't talked about this, but we're going to find somebody else or I'll do it myself because God's got something better for our young people than just keeping them out of trouble. He just does. Like God's got a higher goal, a higher aspiration. So yes, let's set some things up for our students to do on Friday nights and Saturday nights so they can build community. Let's set some things up on fi- Friday nights and Saturday nights for these kids to connect with each other, for them to bring their friend, to introduce them to somebody else who loves Jesus so they can use it as an outreach. I'm not opposed to doing stuff for our students at all. I think it's a great idea, but the purpose, the goal has to be higher than let's keep our kids out of trouble. So how good are your goals? How good are your goals? When I was 18 years old, I just graduated from high school, and all of my friends did like the, the senior trip where they would go to the beach and get wasted for a week, and that just wasn't me. That wasn't the scene that I was into. Uh, God had, had rescued me from that a few years before, and, and it wasn't something I had any interest in. So myself and a few of my friends, there was this one particular worship band that we were really into, and this band was doing a youth conference in Nashville, and we lived in North Carolina, and it's about six hours away. And so we had planned and saved up our money. We were going to go to this youth 
conference, kind of because we were almost like groupies for this band. It's super lame. But this is pretty much where we were at. So, so we went, we raised our money, we went, and uh, we got in. We did two cars. We carpooled. And I was one of the drivers. And I had a goal for this trip. We were doing 80 the whole way to Nashville. We're burning it up. God didn't rescue me from everything when I was 15. A few things he still had to work out of me. So I had a terrible goal, right? We're going, we're just going to hit it. We're going to get there so quick. It's going to be awesome. So I had this goal to get to Nashville so fast. And we get in the car and we gun it. And by the grace of God, nobody died. Uh, by the grace of God, we didn't even get pulled over. Uh, but we did make one little mistake. We were in such a hurry, or I was in such a hurry, leading this caravan uh, that I missed an exit, uh, I think it was around Knoxville. Uh, and next thing we knew, we were headed south. We were supposed to be headed west. But we didn't realize it for about 30 miles. Uh, so we did 30 miles at about 80 miles an hour southbound. Uh, and so our goal of going 80 miles an hour was reached. But our goal of getting there quickly was not because you can go as fast as you want in the wrong direction. And you're not going to get where you want to go. Right? And some of us, I think, possibly are running very hard, are putting the pedal to the metal, pursuing something that God never called you to pursue. And God's got a better goal for you. God's got a better dream for you. God's got something greater for you to pursue. You know, God has goals. I believe God has goals. Don't get me wrong. God's not shopping the self-help section at Amazon. God's not, here's my four steps to being a better God this year. Those aren't the kind of goals that God has. But I believe that God has goals. I believe his words share some of his goals with us. Those are goals for his people. He says, you will go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. I believe that is one of God's goals. That's one of God's goals for you. He says, I want you, I want the knowledge of God to cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. He says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. These are God's goals for you. Do you ever think about that? God has a goal for you. God has a purpose for you. God has something he wants you to achieve. And get this, God's goals are ambitious goals. God does not believe in weak goals. God does not believe in sissy goals. God does not believe in goals that are easily attainable. They're goals that are going to stretch you in order to achieve. But when you achieve a God goal, it is always, always, always for your good and for his glory. It's always going to bless you. It's always going to do something in you that makes you better, a better husband, a better father, a better wife, a better mother, a better worker, a better employee, a better follower of Jesus, a better witness. It's going to make you better. You know, we can have bad goals. You know, it's a bad goal for a church to get everybody in here, and man, we're going to make all of us perfect. We're all going to become like Jesus, and then we're going to shut the door and not reach anybody else. It's a bad goal for a doctor not to see any sick people. And Jesus says, I was sent not to the healthy, but to the sick. And if we're going to be like Jesus, he didn't just send us to the healthy. He didn't just send us to all the holy people out there. He sent us to get into some unholy situations with some unholy people. I'm not saying we do unholy things, but he sent us to get messy, to get dirty. Last night, some of you guys were out picking up trash in the park. We had like 20, 25 people who went. As everybody else is flooding out of the park, we got an army of city church people flooding into the park to clean our city. It was so cool. I'm so proud of our church. And some of you at the end were, were talking about some of the things that you found. Dirty diapers, 
condoms. Uh, there was a conversation about who is using a condom in the park during the fireworks. Uh, and, and I don't want to just gross you out, but here's what we talked about when we said that. You know what that means? It means there's a city that needs Jesus. We can't lose sight of that. We can't lose sight of the fact that God put us in a sinful city, and sometimes Christians freak out about the sin around us. I don't think God is freaking out about the sin around us. I think God is freaking out about the Christians who aren't doing anything about it. God has goals for us. He's got a purpose for us. We need to share God's goals. And so when Jesus left the earth, he sent the disciples out to reach and to preach, and to spread the gospel, and to accomplish some goals to the ends of the earth. And Peter and John are are fulfilling this. The first step, he says, go to Jerusalem. They're in Jerusalem. Man, preach the gospel. They heal somebody, and they seize the opportunity to preach the gospel. This man gets to his feet. He begins to walk. His entire life is changed. People are coming to Jesus, but I imagine when Peter was thrown in prison, he probably thought he was a failure. Imagine when Peter was thrown in prison, he thought, you know what, Jesus said, I got to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and I'm still in Jerusalem, and now I'm in prison. I'm not going to be able to achieve the goal that he has for me. I imagine there was a low moment of discouragement for Peter, and yet he doesn't allow this to stop him when he bring him out of prison to stand before the religious leaders. He again goes back to exactly what got him in trouble in the first place, and he preaches Jesus boldly. I want to look today at three things that can keep us from reaching our goals. Three things. This is not a, not a complete list. This is just a partial list. If you did this list, maybe you would word it differently. Maybe your list would look differently than mine. But just three things to, to consider that may be hindering you from reaching your goals. The first one is limitation. Limitation. Limitation can be defined as a, a shortage of something that you think you need. It's amazing all the limitation that the early church had when you put it in context to us. The early church didn't have a microphone. Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people got saved. He preached here in Acts 4, 2,000 people get saved. Neither time did he use a microphone. His voice was awesome. I don't even imagine how he could do it. Like, I'm just trying to imagine what Peter's voice sounded like. There was an anointing on that voice for him to bellow. I mean, I just see Peter as this, like, burly, like, man's man. He's a fisherman. Like, I don't know. Like, I just imagine, like, he had the coolest, deepest voice that just commanded respect. Totally different than my voice, right? Uh, so, So he goes out there and he preaches no mic, no building, no air conditioning, like, think of all the limitations they had. They had no internet. They had no podcast. They had none of the technology that we have today. They had all the limitations that you can imagine. If we had the same limitations, we probably wouldn't accomplish anything. But I wonder if Peter and John were to look at us with our abundance, if they would question, how do you do so little with so much? And yet we look at them and we say, how do they do so much with so little? You see, Limitation can keep us from fulfilling our goals. Another one is intimidation. Intimidation. Intimidation, I imagine, was a very likely possibility for Peter and John. They'd just been thrown in prison for preaching the name of Jesus. Not only did they have limitation to their ability, now they had intimidation. And they were warned, don't do this again. Don't go out and preach his name again. There was a serious intimidation factor that they did not allow to inhibit their goals. What are we intimidated of? What are we scared of? Do we really believe that the God of the universe is on our side? 
Do we really believe that the God of the universe has called us to something? If he's called us to something, then what do we have to be intimidated by? If he's got our back, if he's supporting us, if his power is behind us, what do we have to be afraid of? Peter and John understood that. They said, you can throw me in prison. You can kill me. You can do what you want with me, but you can't keep me from preaching Jesus because I know how this story ends. And no matter what you think you can do to me, I saw him come back from the dead, and he promised me the same thing. What are we scared of? So limitations can hinder us from reaching our goal. Intimidation can hinder us. And sometimes I think expectation. In other words, we expect it to go a certain way. And when things don't go the way we expect it to, when people don't treat us the way we expect them to, when they don't react to us the way we want them to, when when everything doesn't line up the way, when I don't get the raise that I expected, or I don't get the job that I expected, or I lose the job, or I get sick, or a disease comes in, or something throws me off that I wasn't expecting, now I'm distracted from my goal. And maybe I think that I had the wrong goal to begin with because my expectation wasn't reached. So these things I, I think can limit us. So let's go back through them. First of all, we got limitation. Limitation can hold us back. And then we've got intimidation. So you've got limitation, intimidation, and third, you've got expectation. So are these the things that are holding us back? Is it limitation, intimidation, expectation? Go to the next slide. Or is it actually this? See, the limitation didn't hold them back. The intimidation didn't hold them back. The lack of realizing their expectations did not hold them back. What is the thing that actually holds Christians back from achieving their goals? It's none of those things. It's the lie about the limitation. It's the lie that says you're not good enough. It's the lie that says your sin's too great. Paul was a murderer, but let's just say that one more time. And God used him to save thousands. Your sin is not too great for God to use you. You gotta repent of it, you gotta turn from it, you gotta put it in the past. God's not gonna use you while you're openly embracing it and celebrating it, but it is not too great for him to keep to keep him from using you. It wasn't intimidation that could hold them back. Expectation being being violated did not hold them back. The only thing that can hold God's church back from achieving the calling that God has on them is believing a lie from the enemy. That those things on the screen matter. You know what Peter, what Paul said? Yeah, Peter, I'm getting, my peas are throwing me off here. Peter says this. He says, silver or gold have I none. He could have focused on the limitation. I don't have what you need. Sorry. But it was simply the fact that he had the limitation to begin with that opened his eye to the power that God had placed in him. What if, Peter, what if silver and gold Peter had? The guy begged, hey, give me some alms for the poor. Well, no problem. Here's a nickel. Here's a quarter. Here's a buck. Good luck. And they kept on their way. It was actually the limitation itself that opened them up to be in the center of the miracle. And we make so many excuses. Well, man, one day when we get a building, God's really going to use this church. When we get our own land, God's really going to use this church. Man, when we get this, when we get this staff member, when, when we get this amount of people and this amount of tithe and this amount of income, and we can make all these excuses about the things that we lack, but we don't lack the one thing we need, which is the power of God. And if we'll walk in that, if we'll walk led by his spirit, if we'll walk achieving the goals that he has for us, what's going to stop us? Not having a building? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? we got to quit believing the lies that these little insignificant things matter. We've got so much more than the early church did. And yet they walked in such incredible power. So let's stop believing the lies in our life. 
Stop believing the lies about the limitation. See, the, the lie of, of limitation tells you that what you start with is what you're going to finish with. But there's this thing that, that some have called the most powerful force in the universe called compound interest. And that's where if, if you begin to build interest, interest builds upon itself. So you might start with one, but if we go to the parable of the talents, right, one guy starts with one. And he doesn't build on it. He doesn't do anything with it. But what if he would have? What if he would have went out and he'd have used that one talent and gotten two? Because then you go from two and you can get four. And you can go to four and you can get eight. And you go to eight and you can get 16. You go to 16, you can get 32. You go to 32, you can get 64. You go to 64, you can get 128. You get 128, you can get 256. You get 256, you can get 512. And that's probably the limitation of my brain power right there. But there's an exponential ability to increase that God has placed inside of his people if we'll walk in faith and quit believing the lies. And so it was astonishing when Peter and John walked in this. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul says, I want to reach my goal. He's in prison. Peter's in prison. In Acts chapter 4, Philippians, Paul's writing, he's locked in a tight place. Don't ever think that being in a tight place means that God can't do something in your life. Don't ever think that the things that have you locked in, the things that have you bound in, limits the flow of God, because God's ability can still flow in tight places. God's presence can still show up in tight places. God's power can still move in tight places. Turn back to Philippians chapter 3. I want to walk through this as Paul talks about his goals. He's kind of the opposite of Peter. Once again, Peter's confidence was astonishing. Paul's confidence made sense. Philippians chapter 3, verse 4. Paul, uh, Paul says, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. Paul understood, hey, there's some reasons why I could be confident in myself if I needed to be, if I wanted to be. He said, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, goals. For them, that was a goal, right? It was a big thing. Of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, goals. Any good Jew looked up to the Pharisees. When Peter was growing up, he probably looked at the Pharisees as something he could never touch. Hashtag goals. Man, if I could just know the scripture like they know it, then God could do something with me. That was a goal. Verse 6, as for zeal persecuting the church, Goals. As for righteousness based on the law, flawless. But it's a funny thing, Paul says, verse 7. But wherever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. He says, I got the goals. I reached them. I strived for them. I set them high. They were ambitious. They were audacious. I pursued them, and I reached them. And when I got there, guess what I found out? I had the wrong goal. I pursued the wrong goals. They weren't all that they were cracked up to be to begin with. They were simply keeping me from the thing that God really wanted for my life. Paul said, I spent so much of my life striving for the wrong thing. I wonder how much of your life has been spent striving for the wrong thing. I wonder how many of us in here could identify with Paul. Say, I had some wrong goals. I pursued some things, and when I finally got them, I realized they were worthless. They were nothing. They didn't bring me the fulfillment that they promised. They didn't bring me the peace that they promised. They didn't bring me the security that they promised. They didn't bring me whatever it was 
that they promised. Verse 8, what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, his prior goals, all the things that he'd accomplished, all the things that people looked up to him for, for being a Pharisee, for being a religious leader, for persecuting the church, all the things that people idolized. Paul said, I consider those things garbage. Why? That I may gain Christ. Now there's a goal. Now there's a goal. If you're a Christian in this room today, if the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, something should prick at that goal. That's what I want. That's what I want. And all this other stuff that I'm pursuing, not this other stuff that I've been focusing on, ultimately deep down inside, I simply want to gain Christ. Paul says, I've got a better goal. I've got a better goal. Your life will begin to change, not when you reach the goal you have, but when you begin to get the goal that God has for you. That's when things really begin to click. Paul says, that I may gain Christ, verse 9, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Sometimes we set goals, and the result that we want is going to put us in a place where we don't need God. And God said, that's not the goal I have for you. I want you to need me. I want you to lean on me. I want you to... Require my presence every day. I want you to know that I'm there with you wherever you go. So Paul says, continuing on, talking about his goals, verse 10, he says, I want to know Christ. Everybody say, I want to know Christ. Do you want to know Christ? What an awesome, incredible goal, not just to be a Christian. Paul was already a Christian. Paul didn't say, I just want to go to heaven. That was not his goal. Sometimes our goals are too low. If your goal is simply to go to heaven, I want you to raise your goal today. God's got something better for you than simply promising you you're not going to burn in hell. He's got a purpose. He's got a fulfillment. He's got a relationship in store for you, intimacy with him that you would hear his voice, that you would know his plan, that you would desire his presence. That's the goal for God's people. He says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, a goal that makes no sense until you know Jesus. And you say, man, I, don't, I want everything that you've got, Jesus. I want to be just like you. And if you suffer for me, I'm willing to suffer for you. It's a goal. Becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining the resurrection of the dead. Paul says, I did all that other stuff. I pursued all the goals of my flesh and I got them. And I've discovered there's some goals that are so much greater. I've discovered there's something that is so much more worth pursuing with my life. I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to suffer like Jesus. That means I get thrown in prison to be like Jesus. I'm willing to be thrown in prison. That means I get shipwrecked to be like Jesus. I'm willing to be shipwrecked. If that means that people try to stone me and put me to death, I'll be stoned and let someone try to put me to death. It means ultimately at the end of his life, he had his head cut off. He went through all that. Why? For the glory of Jesus so that he could become more like him. And that sounds like a terrible end of the story, but it's not the end of the story. Because Paul ain't dead. He's with Jesus today. His goal has been achieved. He has gained Christ. He gets to be with him in the flesh, physically, on a regular basis. And so sometimes you may 
be getting to your goals and not realizing it because you're reaching for the wrong thing. I want to show you something very quickly before we wrap up today. There's a movie that came out a couple years ago. It's called Moneyball. It's a baseball movie. I'm a, I'm a sports nerd. Uh, and this movie is about a guy named Billy Bean. Billy Bean is the general manager of the Oakland Athletics. And Bean's known for kind of radically changing the way that, that baseball general managers acquire talent, the way that they look at structuring a baseball team. Before he took over the A's, baseball was a very, very kind of old school mentality. It was all about instinct and gut feel about a player. And you go scout them, and I think they can do it, or I think they can't. And Bean brought what we call statistical analysis or analytics to the baseball world. Uh, And he got a lot of pushback from it, but he was very successful. And so the clip that you're going to see uh, was from a particular season. I'm a Seattle Mariners fan I'm from Seattle, uh, and I remember this year really well because this is the year that the Mariners started out really hot and the A's started out really bad, and then the A's won 20 straight games and came back and overtook the Mariners, and we missed the playoffs because of the clip that we're about to watch. But in this particular year, the A's win the division. They win the American League West. Uh, they win 20 straight games. They're very successful, but they miss the ultimate goal. They miss the World Series. And so Billy Bean is just devastated. He's played by Brad Pitt, so you'll recognize him. He's the good-looking one in the clip. Uh, y- you'll understand that in just a second. Uh, but I want you to watch how this, th- this clip plays out. Go ahead and roll this for us, Haley. Can you keep the lights down, Haley? What a dumb. I really wanted to win here. I really did. I think you won pretty big, Billy. Pete, we lost. We lost. It's only been a few days. You got to give yourself some time to get over it. Man, I don't. I don't get over these things. Ever. Come with me to the video room. I want to show you something. No, man, I'm not for film right now. Come on, seriously. Come on, Billy, come on. The Visalia Oaks and our 240-pound catcher, Jeremy Brown, who, as you know, scared to run the second base. This was in the game six weeks ago. This guy's going to start him off with a fastball. Jeremy's going to take him to deep center. Here's what's really interesting. Because Jeremy's going to do what he never does. He's going to go for it. He's going to round first, and he's going to go for it. Okay? This is all of Jeremy's nightmares coming to life. Oh, they're laughing at him. Jeremy's about to find out why. Jeremy's about to realize that the ball went 60 feet over the fence. He hit a home run and didn't even realize it. Hit a home run, 
and he didn't even know it. Hit a home run, had no idea. How crazy is that? See, I think God may have sent me here today to encourage somebody. Just like that first baseman. That first baseman reaches down to somebody on the opposite team and picks them up and, hey, you need to get up. And he's thinking, man, they're pulling a hidden ball trick on me or something. I'm about to get tagged out. Why are you picking, man, you're just these bullies. They're terrible. I tripped. He's saying, you need to get up because you hit a home run and you didn't even know it. Maybe there's a mom here and you feel like you're a failure because your kids don't tell you how amazing you are because they're kids. And you don't realize what a great job you're doing. But God wants to tell you today, you cleared the fence by 60 feet. You hit a home run and you didn't even know it. Maybe there's somebody here today who feels like a failure as a Christian and you have no idea the impact that you've had on the next generation. You have no idea the influence you've had at somebody at your work. You have no idea the seeds that you've sown and the way that they're growing. You have no clue. I want to tell you today, it's very possible that you've hit a home run and you don't even know it. I want to go back to the book of Acts very quickly. Acts chapter 4. I want you to see what happens in context with Peter here. Peter's using this man as a prop. Verse 1 says, The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They healed the man, and then they try to interrupt him while they're preaching. Verse 2, they were greatly disturbed. Side note. Your destiny always brings a disturbance. That's a foreshadow for later in the series. We'll get to that. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. And the next verse is the kicker. Peter and John just went to jail. Their sermon, they didn't even get to the end of their sermon. They got cut off. Peter got cut off and thrown in prison. That would be a really bad way for my sermon to end. If somebody busted in right here and I got taken off to jail, I don't know who would come up here or what would happen for the rest of the service, but it'd be a bummer for me if nobody else. God could still show up and still do something awesome, but it'd be a really terrible ending for me, right? So Peter's in prison, but look what happens in verse four. But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. It was 3,000 just a couple days before when Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. Now it jumps from 3,000 to 5,000. At least 2,000 people got saved on this day, and Peter wasn't even there to see it. Peter hit a home run, and he didn't even know it. God used him in a massive way to alter eternity for thousands of people, and Peter's in prison, and he feels like a failure. He didn't even know the difference that he had made. I believe so firmly for many people in this room, you will have no clue until the day you hit heaven, the impact that you have made, the home runs that you have hit on people that you had no clue were even listening or paying attention. Peter didn't know the end of the story. He didn't know how it finished up, and yet 2,000 people came to Jesus because of what he did, even though Peter wasn't there to watch it. How would he have felt as he was getting dragged off to prison? How would he have felt, I think a lot like the guy in this clip, he'd have felt like, man, I hit it hard, and I busted it to first base, and things were looking really good, and then I just tripped and fell flat on my face. What did I do wrong, Jesus? Where did I blow it? Where did I miss you that I ended up in prison? But Peter didn't blow it at all. He didn't miss it at all. He rocked that ball into the upper deck. He just didn't know it. Sometimes you're the last one to see the effects of your own obedience to God. 
Sometimes you're the last one to really realize the impact that you've had by obeying him. Everybody else on the scene is going, this is amazing. This is awesome. And Peter's in prison saying, maybe I went too far. Maybe I should have kept my mouth shut. There's a big difference between our vantage point and God's vantage point. There's a big difference many times between our goals and God's goals. And Paul said that when everybody thought I was gaining, I was actually losing. But now that everybody thinks I'm losing, I'm actually gaining. Back to Philippians 3 as we finish up. Verse 12. Now that I have, not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. That's my goal. Watch this, verse 13, as he goes on. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me, heavenward in Christ Jesus. You see, impressing people was not Paul's goal. Pressing towards Jesus was. He flipped the goals as he went on in life. And he began to see God do something incredible with him. In a world that's all about making impressions, God is not about an impression. He's about an impact. He's about changing lives. That's his goal. That's his prize. He wants to use you to impact someone's life. We said we're calling this message Reaching the Goal. Reaching the Goal. And I want to see you reach some goals. In fact, after we pray in just a minute, I'm going to give you a specific practical goal that we can walk out for the next 60 days. But ultimately, I don't think that it's so much about reaching specific goals. Go ahead and put that next slide up there. I think it might actually be reaching is the goal. You see, I think that God wants us to stretch. I think God wants us to reach. And sometimes as we stretch, we're going to miss it. Sometimes as we stretch, maybe we're going to trip over first base and think that we blew it. Sometimes as we stretch, it's not going to go the way that we expect it to. But God wants us to reach. God wants us to stretch. And so I want you to begin to evaluate Have a conversation with yourself. Man, have a conversation with the Holy Spirit. What are some areas that I've just not stretched? What are some areas that I've just gotten comfortable and I've plateaued and I've settled right here? Well, God, I like to read the Bible, but I'm not really into this prayer thing, so I'm just going to read. Or vice versa. God, I love to talk to you. But the Bible is confusing and it's just hard to read and it's boring and it's dull and I'm just not into it. So I'm just going to pray. I'll talk to you all day long, God, but this Bible thing is not for me. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to show up to church every once in a while. Or I'm going to be at church every Sunday, but I'm not really going to serve. Or I'm going to be there all the time, but I'm not going to give. I don't know what it is. But begin to evaluate where are the areas of your life. I'm not going to tell anybody about Jesus at work. I'll do it at church. I'll serve at church. But God's not going to use me Monday through Friday. That's my time. What's the area that the Holy Spirit wants to put his finger on today and simply say, I want you to stretch. I want you to reach. What's the aspect of your life? What's the one compartment that you've kind of kept to yourself? Or maybe it's a few. Where God says, yes, I'm going to give you some goals and I want you to shoot for the goals, but I'm not even really worried about the end result. I just want you to stretch. I just want you to reach. If you get on a Bible reading plan and you read five days out of seven this week, man, I'm proud that you've reached for that. That's progress. And I'm going to use you in the progress, even if you feel like a failure because you missed two days. God's people have got to reach. And 
And I believe that that's the goal. So as we prepare two months from now to go to two services, I'm asking every single one of you to stretch, to stretch spiritually. What is it that you're not doing? Maybe you're not worshiping. Maybe you're only worshiping when you're at church. You have no set-aside worship time on your own. I don't know what it is. But I would encourage you to begin to evaluate that in your heart with God. Maybe there's a sin area that you know God's been talking to you about for a long time. And you found every excuse to kind of hold on to this thing. And it's going to be a stretch to let it go because you like it. And you enjoy it. But God's goal for you is worth it. It's better than the goals that we have for ourselves. We're going to stretch. We're going to allow God to stretch us. And as God gives us some new goals, as he begins to deposit some new goals in our heart, let's respond to his word.